hasten to add this is a direct quote from James. This is not my doing. Sort of like your favourite teacher, isn't it, at school? That's why I related to you. Yeah. And you kind of, when they go, they're like, oh, oh this one's worse. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I really like exactly. that. Pre-season, which probably the worst thing I've ever done. It was horrendous. We were literally being, we got woke up, took into a room, all the lights off. There was like kids screaming. It was like torture music. You missed see. all the Yeah, I was going to say, you've, exactly. you've never had a celebration. I would have really looked forward to that one. That was literally the finish. Hi, I'm James Constable, and you're listening to the James Constable podcast, powered by Get Radio. Well, hello and welcome once again to the James Constable podcast. This is episode six. Can't believe we've made it to episode six. We're back here at the White House uh, with Tap Social Movement, just in Oxford, recording. Big thank you to them for letting us take over, which is now what we do. We take over somewhere to record the podcast. This episode, we're going to be dealing with the twilight of your career at Oxford United. Much has happened in the last five episodes, has had lots of ups and lots of downs. And it's going to be a great, great listen. Really, really looking forward to this one. Let's go back to 2012-2013 season. And it's awful. We've got these notes in front of us here that you'll see on the video and what have you. (laughs) Teddy's written out my notes for me. And in in big sort of like inverted commas, it's just gone nothing here. I hasten to add, this is a direct (laughs) quote from James. This is not my doing. So so yeah, let's let's go from, you know, from, from leaving sort of captaincy and the Swindon issues that we had from the last episode. Let's go into into nothing here. But sort of just elaborate on that a little bit more for that season, which was not a bad season for Oxford United, all told. No, I think, like I say, where we finished, I think finished eighth in the league and just outside the playoffs. And you look at it and you think, oh, it's an all right season. But actually, we went off to America for pre-season, which is not like any pre-season I've ever had at any club anywhere. It had a lot of similarities from my stag do. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Literally one of the best pre-seasons, I think. It's sort of like one of those sort of stories you hear all the time. Time, that, that that preseason was pretty good. Like we we were obviously in America. We got to go out. We were drinking. Like obviously at the the place we were staying and the seacoast. The team that were putting us up were basically sort of picking up the bill for everything. So it was a mad sort of week. Really, we played some games over there. We had a sort of good time. Obviously team bonding wise, it was great. We got to get to know everyone a little bit better. But yeah, came back and started the season okay. And then we went on a sort of terrible run of games that put us probably sort of half looking over our shoulders as to where that season was going to go. It's weird. I I always wanted to know, but obviously full players are allowed to mm. drink you know they're allowed to eat what they want yeah obviously professionals hiring chefs some players choose not to drink and what mm. have you in terms of a pre-season in terms of training are there people that are turning up hungover and going i'm not going to make it through this you said it was like a stag do yeah i'm really going on from my own experience of if i have a drink i don't want to get out of bed mm. let alone run around a football field for 90 minutes two hours three hours well that was our second tour as it were of america <laughs> so we've been the year before and then this was like our second second so I think the lads knew what to expect we were probably like briefed a little bit on like not the same as last year not too much but I say there was we were obviously playing American sort of college teams things like that so it wasn't probably the best standard of game so there was definitely players turning up I remember sort of Mickey and Chris and those guys coming down sort of most mornings Mickey was sort of famous for he'd just come down literally soaking wet hair he'd literally just got out of the shower (laughs) kit on straight down and you could just tell that looking at their faces we knew they'd been out and like obviously some of the lads we were given obviously times we could go out other times I think we went to watch like Man United play at the Fenway mm. baseball stadium yeah, yeah. and like there, there was obviously things we did through that stuff that wasn't all around drinking but like I said I'd never apart from the previous year we went to America there were lads not naming names that were out like literally <laughs> more nights than we would yeah than I, I love were. how he's making it sound like it's nothing to do with him <laughs> yeah he was yeah, on his yeah. Best other, other no, people. I, I, I would say out of the group like it wasn't something that I was probably big on like I would I'd go out when we'd go out obviously through the season sort of Christmas dues but there'd be like players that were going out a couple of nights a week or and, mm. and like I say, it wasn't. It was never really my. I say I'd, I'd socialise, but going out to that level, it wasn't something I always sort of did too much. But like I say, over there, there were lads out near enough every night we were over there. So looking back now, you look at the season to start. We did start all right, two mm. wins out of the first three or something, and then I think we went eight or nine without a win, and we were seventeenth, eighteenth in the league at that point. So again, that season, you're still being touted to go up. You're still one of the stronger teams. You've been in the league. You know, where's the benchmark being set for that season going into it again? Are you going playoffs a minimum? 
I think every season, like say every season I, I was there, I, I always felt that pressure that the fans and, and the players and the staff, everybody wanted us to be there or thereabouts. I think obviously the first season it was like, well, we'll see what happens back in the football league. Mm, and yeah. But then after that, I think when we, we realised there's not a great deal of difference, obviously team-wise between the conference and league two, but in terms of putting runs together, you put four or five games together, you're in the playoffs, you sort of lose a couple, you're looking at relegation. So I think we realised there wasn't a great deal in the league and we were more than capable of challenging every year I was there basically. But I think this season there'd been sort of players come in and changing chairman and things around that. It was still the aim, but I think it was probably again looked upon maybe a season that might be a little bit of just see how it goes. But it started really well and then up to the back end of sort of September, October, it was an awful run. We just couldn't seem to get out of that rut. And like I say, we were then in, in danger really of being sucked into a, a relegation battle. It's interesting there when we've talked to you before about all the stuff at Oxford, off the pitch was something you guys weren't really concerned with. Like you've said about the reunion dinner, you didn't really realise how important that playoff game was for the club's future. Yeah. But you say there about how the change in Chem was something you felt. What was different this year about that? I think probably just that relationship between the players and the chairman. I think before, obviously, we, we spoke about Calvin and what, and what he meant to us as players, but the football club. And then we've gone from that, we've gone to a guy that, like I say, was, obviously his background was based in rugby and, like I say, maybe not the same understanding of Oxford and what the fans expected, what the players sort of achieved through that time. It, it felt a little bit of sort of disconnect between us and the chairman and, like I say, the players. I think it was a strange season, like I say, we'd see him around and, and obviously, but I just think that relationship as before to then now, it was, was different and, like I say, it just didn't always feel that we were all as one. It was like a little bit of disconnect there. Do you think with Calvin there, you, you sort of mentioned that sort of disconnect. There was a, a more of a togetherness and, and it feels like a togetherness is really important. Maybe at sort of lower levels. Did it turn into more of a business more than a football club do you know what I mean by it Does yeah I, I think so like I say I, I, I just didn't feel that same connection with Kelvin and like say you, you knew like obviously you'd see him around and you could chat to him and it felt very much like say a little bit of sort of shirt and ties and yeah. Kelvin would, would be suit shirt unbuttoned and like say just more welcoming and it was a little bit more like this guy was here obviously he wasn't here to just make up the numbers he was here to obviously turn the business profitable and, and make money and, and stuff like that but I don't know it just didn't have that same feeling and I think as a, as a group obviously we'd still have to speak to him about bonuses and, and I remember sort of meetings pre-season we'd have to organise like FA Cup runs and League Cup like what we wanted and appearances and all that and it was always I think with Calvin he was a little bit more willing to sort of meet us for halfway or, or try yeah. and sort of as long as we were happy and, and like say he was happy it would it would work whereas it was a little bit more we'd feel like we'd have to sort of go back and forth constant to try and get anything arranged or it just felt slightly different like things had changed from from Calvin obviously I think we were probably very fortunate to have him at the time and maybe didn't always realize that until it changes and, and you've got someone different there that, that's sort of steering it all sort of like your favorite teacher isn't it at school that's why I relate it to yeah. and you kind of when they go they're like oh oh this one's worse yeah, it's really good yeah. yeah yeah I really like exactly. it so, so Ian Lennigan's come in. You mentioned to us that he had more of a rugby background and he tried to sort of invoke that with all the players and with yourselves as well in, in a few scenarios that maybe didn't quite hit the mark or, or maybe some of the players didn't quite get. Yeah, again, infamous sort of pre-season trip we went up to Wigan Warriors and watched them train and like see how they, they sort of worked, which was an eye-opener, like say, seeing these guys are absolute monsters in the gym and it's like <laughs> there's tables of like the weaklings who can't lift 200-odd kg and I'm thinking like any of us would struggle, we would be in the bottom yeah. of this table. And yeah, just to see those guys and, and the way they work to us, it was like, yeah, we appreciated what they were doing, but didn't really see the connection between... Yeah, it's we're, a different sport we're a altogether. Club, like we're, yeah. we're there, stood watching, and then I think they finished training and then we got on their pitch and did a bit of football training and it was just like... <laughs> Cut up there was to rug stress, rugby, yeah. rugby posts with cones in front, and it was just all a little bit strange. And then we went off to this marine camp for for preseason, which probably the worst thing I've ever done. Like it was horrendous. We were out at all hours. We were being woken up by sort of bangs on the door. At one in, we didn't have watches we didn't know what time but it was pitch black it was the middle of the night it felt like we'd just dropped off and they'd be in the rooms getting everybody up like you had like 30 seconds to get dressed outside I remember one of the occasions we had to go down to this like river with the traffic cones like, get in fully submerged in this river at, say the middle of the night traffic cone fill it with water carry it back to these wheelie bins and just like in teams like quickest yeah. who could fill it up and when it got to like so high like it was almost there they'd just kick it over and you just have to keep going and it was like you'd come in from that sort of shivering and have like five minutes to get into bed just dropped off whistles going again whistles loudest whistles you've ever heard banging on the doors up again pushing minibuses up hills I've it's never... taking team building to the 
absolutely yeah and not, like i say it's not rugby it's it's that's rugby isn't it, yeah. it that to me is a rugby the connotations with the army yeah. and, and the, 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 these it's marines were like it felt like they were literally trying to break us and it was like we had ali lane there and, and people on the sort of medical team that from speaking to him after i don't think they realized the level that we were going to be pushed i think they thought oh yeah a bit of like fun and they get them to do press ups and all this yeah. we got woke up took into a room all the lights off there was like kids screaming it was like torture music that how they would try and get information out oh, of people and all of us were just God. like and then they were tapping us like putting things over our head and taking us into separate rooms it sounds to... like the sort of thing that would take a serious toll on players. literally there, there's there's videos i've got a video on my on my computer at home and it's, i think ali and that were videoing it but you just see like the Everyone's so tired, like literally bed, struggling to keep your eyes open. And this is amidst pre-season preparation. This is like a, a, a pre-season sort of team building. But like I say, it, it was pushed to like the extremes of, I ended up in hospital. Like we got there the day, we, I think sort of around lunchtime. We'd been there like doing stuff all day, obviously up all night. We'd barely eaten. Came to like a, one of these things, like say we had sort of wrestling or things that we were doing on the mats, like wrestling each other. <laughs> and literally it just got to a point where I was just, I was like blacking out. I couldn't see what's happening. So they've obviously took me and I think, I think it was Sam Long at the time because he was only a young lad we both ended up in sort of a and e and they were like i was hooked up to like ecgs and all this sort of stuff obviously all the team like left that morning there's like obviously pictures and, and stuff of them like celebrating this end of this pre-season there's me sort of in the hospital waiting you miss to be all the yeah i was gonna say you've never, exactly. you've never had a celebration <laughs> i would have really looked forward to that one that was literally the finish because i think they had more stuff planned and it was like oh we're only joking that's it you're finished and everyone was like jumping around hugging each other like they had made it whereas like me and longy are literally just sat in the hospital wow. waiting to be sort wow. of discharged and then we had to come back but it was one of those things that never really got mentioned but if you speak to any of the guys there it's like an infamous mm. like or mentally scarred the yeah. worst preseason you could ever imagine for players it was something i'd hope no one has to go through that sort of thing ever again all the drama wasn't really in the season it was it, kind of pre-season, <laughs> pre-season yeah. wasn't it oh, wow so uh, you know a massive change has, has happened to the mm-hmm. club and, and calvin has moved on we've heard that ian lennigan is in we kind of get to the start of a new season mm. expectations still the same i mean in terms of uh, you know it wasn't a bad year again for yourself top scorer for the fifth successive season yeah. for Oxford United a decent was it a eighth, eighth, ninth, ninth finish a ninth yeah. place finish which okay just outside the playoffs yeah. was it going into that season were there any rumblings of this was going to be a different season to last year no I, I think like I say obviously players had come in and, and some had gone out obviously that the aims were still the same but I think we started really well and like say three games in I think we were two wins out of three and we were putting ourselves in a, in a great position and then I say look, looking back as hard to sort of put your finger on what but then sort of going seven eight games without a win it's you're literally almost a third way through the season and we're i think 18th 19th in the league and you can't sort of explain why it go, can go from that to that it's unlike all the other leagues like you look at the premier league the championship you don't see this fluctuation that that season you have periods where you're absolutely dominating top of the table automatic promotion but then you say there's about two or three runs where you go five games without a win yeah it's mental 46 games a season anything can happen i think anything out of probably Premier League and sort of top level championship everything else is just it's, yeah. it's, it's absolutely everyone mad. beats everyone like league yeah. one and like say league two the conference you look at some of the results you get and it's a phenomenal league it's very rare you'll have a team that start the season well plays well all season get promoted it's always they have a dip and, and they lose a few and then someone overtakes them and then they got to fight back it is sort of like through a season it's a sort of mission to be able to get that run together and, and keep that going because it's, it's very rare because just the nature of the league it is so difficult it really really is well in that season as well though we've not mentioned you've got two things on your own mind as well contract and that running out but also a bit of a niggling injury as well. Yeah, obviously the contract one was not so much at the early stages, but I know sort of the back end of that season, it was definitely on my mind. And I'd sort of put things out every time I spoke in the press that I was I was keen to stay. I was hoping that maybe it come the end of that season and it was... I'd obviously broke a bone in my foot and I was getting injections for that and it was putting me sort of out for a couple of weeks and then I was playing a couple of weeks but dealing with probably a fair bit of pain off away from football like I could play games I could train but then there was a lot of treatment involved a lot of ice a lot of say painkillers and things just to be able to get through the games and I, I think that all comes back to coming back I'd done it and then I think normally now it's like six weeks or eight I think I was two three weeks and I was back training and trying to sort of get through because of the nature we didn't have big squads but yeah the, those two combined it was, it was a lot to sort of try and balance really like say through a season that was already quite difficult like say losing games and a lot of change but then to try and deal with that and, and obviously the contract it does sort of start taking its toll I wanted to ask throughout your career you weren't too bad in terms of injuries yeah. but also there was that little mention I think in episode one where you go into a game and you're not maybe 100% of the time you may be 100% three or four games a season putting yeah. words in your mouth but but you know not all the time essentially mm-hmm. describe to you know fans like ourselves 
going through an injury, like a, I think people listening now have maybe broken maybe something, a finger, whether it yeah. be a foot, the, the famous Rooney metatarsal, whatever yeah. it is, heard about it. But just take us through the sort of journey of having that type of injury and the sort of pain that you're going through. A lot of the time, you'd, you'd get that injury, it'd be assessed, you'd go and see a specialist, but you're always aware that like they want you back as quick as possible. No matter what that injury is, it's like, if they say, oh, six weeks, and they'd be like, well, obviously with the right treatment and that, it may be four. Like, so it's always like, they want you back as quick as possible. So obviously once I'd broken my bone and I think I'd missed a couple of weeks, it was always, I was in a boot and I was sort of trying to take as much weight off it, but it was, when are you back? Like, do you, does it feel all right? Can you, do you think you could come out and do a bit of running or? So there's always that pressure to come back. So like say, we were speaking just off air, like obviously the lads that would take sort of tablets and painkillers and just to try and get you back out there as mm. quick as you can. But really, you're, all you're doing is masking that pain and trying to hide what you know really is, is your body saying, look, you're not ready, you're not good to play. So there was many times that, say, players would be on the bench that Pete Elevens and, and Dean Smalley's where they would have two days earlier were having sort of needles in their knee and liquid being taken out that was not a colour that you would oh, imagine would be <laughs> in a knee. But it's, this is what yeah. they were doing to be able to play and feel comfortable playing. It must be a weird thing dealing with that as a player as well because I know looking back through the history books and things that 13-14 season you miss a few games in mm. September with this injury and then you come off the bench at the end of the month and Chris makes a big deal of it in the press going he's been really brave he's really stepping up and if you're feeling that it's awful seeing something like that though must really make you feel like no I, I want to keep playing regardless of the pain and then it's out there for fans to see it must be a really weird thing to try and navigate yeah I think for players as I don't think I've ever sort of come across players that don't want to be out there. I think if they can get out there sooner and they can, like I say, we, we were offered injections. We were, like I say, getting strap-ins. There wasn't anyone saying, look, you know what, like, I'm, I'm going to, I don't need the injection. I'll wait. I'll just sit it out for six weeks. It's, like I say, if they can give you an injection, you can be back in four. We were taking it because it was like, actually, we want to be back. Like, we want to be out there. So obviously, it's not just me. There was, like I say, players that were going through, like Levs, and, and those guys were going through a hell of a lot worse. Like I say, having sort of needles in their knee and, and this stuff being drained out is, like I say, it's, it's not something that should be happening players but again that that sort of determination that desire to be out there they were going through that and like say there was lads that were getting strap-ins doing whatever it took to be back out there so i think it's just part and parcel we've got so used to it through your sort of career you just accept it as sort of the norm and, and that, that that's the way it is but i say i know with the sort of painkillers and those types of things that is something they're trying to sort of cut down because it, it, it is almost sort of out of control really yeah no it really is well we've dealt with you know a couple of bits and bobs that, that happened at the start of that season mm -hmm. and and i think we'll sort of come back to the injury and also the time left on your contract as yeah. well to towards the end but uh, what we've not sort of mentioned and and dare I say we've not made a big enough deal of is the fact that you are a hell of a goal scorer and come November uh, you get your 100th goal for the club coming off the bench away at Mansfield and you know it, it's it feels like even going through this podcast and chatting to you and I've mentioned before that the you know you're very humble about this but to get 100 goals for a club is an incredible milestone and it feels like it's just sort of crept up mm. on on you did it feel like that did you you know as a goal scorer are you just kind of going my job's to score goals and oh look i've got quite a few now yeah was there was there kind of like that 100 goal in the distance or did you know about it for a few games before yeah i think like i say i, I knew i was i was getting close to the 100 but obviously i, I knew the, the sort of target of, of the sort of top scorer and i was i was desperate to sort of catch him and, and like say break the record i think as a goal scorer you want to break the records but i remember again especially sort of that season we didn't start particularly great and then like say picked up and we, we started picking up results and then got ourselves in a great position like say christmas i think that game that took us top of the league that day and we came away with huge confidence like say me personally score 100 goal I'd, I'd been left out of the team and probably a little bit angry I felt like I'd, I'd, I was fit I didn't need to be left out and I know Dean and, and, and the guys were, were scoring goals but I felt like even then that I, that I was good enough to be playing I didn't feel like 28 29 that I should be sat on the bench I wanted to play and yeah I, I disappointed not to start and then obviously got an injury and then managed to get on I think it was just before half time and then literally scored and talk about last minute it's the 45th plus eighth minute yeah I'd, I'd only come on, I think, literally just before half time. So it was one of those where I think they were sort of umming and iron whether do, do we put them on, do we wait yeah, till half time? Wait, yeah. and, and, and like I say, just chuck me on. But it was one of those I hadn't really had 
too long to warm up. I think I'd just literally done a few sprints, put my pads on it and gone on. But yeah, to score, I think, like I say, I look back now and the, the pictures of me, like obviously it was it was ideal away at the away end with, with the fans there. And I think there's just a picture of me sort of pointing to them. I think that was my way of, of really thanking it. That, yeah, it's great. I've scored 100 goals, but it's for them. Like they've supported me throughout the sort of five and a half seasons I've been there. And I say looking back now, it was maybe, was that me sort of half thinking that might be my last season? I don't know. Like it, it's strange, but it was a strange thing to do to be able to sort of celebrate with them and point at them and like say I know I'd, I'd made a big deal about staying and we were sort of halfway through the season now and there was no mention of me staying so maybe subliminally was I thinking that that might have been my last season I don't know but um, it was obviously nice to be able to celebrate with them and, and I just assumed even at November with five six months of the season left I've, I've only got sort of six seven goals to go to break the record it wasn't something that I thought I wasn't going to be able to achieve. Was there more emotion involved in that hundredth you said about you were lucky enough to be an away end I know we've spoken that you know it would have been even better to be yeah. to be at home yeah but to be at the away end is is there an extra emotion involved with that 99 to 100 yeah I, th- I think as well because of this like i've been out that i've been left out and like there was a frust- I, was, I was angry like i come on I, I remember being the frustration but i thought you know what like i'm gonna i wanted to go and score a trick i wanted to say you know what like this is why you shouldn't leave me out and like i say i'd obviously managed to get the goal and, and it got us level on the night and then we, we went on a one but i remember even after just being frustrated that i was being left out and, and it wasn't like say the first time there was a few times throughout the season that, that i'd been sort of overlooked and i felt like i was still one of the sort of top performers in training i was doing everything right away from the club and looking after myself Myself. let's say as you get older you've is a lot harder to do those things I think when you're younger you can you can afford to have a takeaway on a Saturday and, and things like that but as you get like say 28 29 it's not always something you can just do it's a lot more work involved I remember taking a lot more time to learn about what I should be eating what I shouldn't and just giving myself the best opportunity to play it as long as I could but mm. yeah I, I definitely remember coming off and there was obviously the press and, and different people there that I was speaking to and I was obviously delighted I was scored but like I say deep down I, I was sort of angry that, that I'd been left out and not given the, the sort of start that I felt I should have should have got. Did you voice these concerns is that something that you can do as a footballer and you know you can perform well in training can you go to Chris and go why are you leaving me out what's going on? Personally, probably in, in that year, especially, probably not so much just because of our, our relationship mm. at, at that point. But obviously other clubs I've been at and sort of a famous one at Eastley, I remember speaking to Martin Allen and just saying, look, I, my contract was coming up there. And I said, like, obviously, what, what's the situation? Am I going to be offering a new deal? And sort of pitching it that, you know what, like, I've, I've still feel fit. I can still do stuff. And I think that was on a Monday. We played on the Tuesday. And he, I started, he pulled me off at half time and said, like, you've been coming telling me you should be getting a new deal. And that's the way you perform. And literally I could have, if, if, if I was a bit younger, I think I would have just got up and had a tear up because it was so disrespectful because that, that wasn't the way the conversation went and it wasn't how it came across. But in front of all the lads to sort of say that, that, that I'd been knocking on his door asking for a new contract, which is something I've never really done. I've, I've never been the one to be going and asking. Mm. It's, it's always been, look, your contract's coming to an end. Like, we'd love you to stay. Or So, yeah, that, that was hard. But, yeah, with Chris, I don't think that was sort of something I was sort of comfortable to go and sort of have that conversation with him. I think we'd got to a place where we could work together. We yeah. could be in the same environment, but maybe not so much knock on your door like, oh, like just sort of come and have a chat it wasn't that sort of relationship we had anymore so it was one of those you just sort of had to bite your lip and I did a lot of my talking like saying the press and sort of on social media to say I'm desperate to stay and, and hope that that would somehow sort of get to the powers that be and, and, and it would sort of come to fruition. Do you think that's why you have a great relationship with the fans still mm-hmm. because you were in front of them scoring goals you were in front of them on social media you were telling it how it is on the mediums that they all got do you think that has played a part definitely. from how you're respected now yeah definitely and, and I think I, I remember even from the season before people sort of messaging me or and, and tagging in like the football club and, and saying like what, where, where's his new deal like, it was it was a big thing that I, I kept seeing but it's, it's one of those do you like it do you reach you, know I mean? you don't want to reach out <laughs> well, people wanna, really make a big thing out of it oh, so and so did that yeah, like, exactly. unfollowed so, that club it was one of those where I'd see it and I think like well liking it's probably okay because I'm not like doing anything too but I'm not like I'm not going to like reshare it or, or, or whatever retweet it just in case it's they think like well that's me having another sort of nudge that I want a new deal so it, it was a funny time but I, I remember like say it was it was a big thing for the fans they kept saying look obviously hopefully you, you get that new deal and like say for me I, I was just like in the back of my mind I was thinking like obviously frustration that I wasn't playing as often as I was like but I felt like at every, every game that season I was sort of on trial almost I had to every game that like, I did get a start or I did get like because I think I still started a fair few that season but I felt like every time I did I needed to to really sort of 
set a benchmark of what, what I could do. Well, I feel like it's important to note that that season, there are only two players in the squad who play more games than you. And one of them's Clarkey in goal. So obviously he's yeah. going to play loads. And the other player's a defender. Out of mm. all the midfielders, all the forwards, you've got the most appearances, the mm. most minutes. It's not even close. Yeah. Especially bearing in mind your injury as well at the start of that season. Yeah, and I think that, like I say, that, that was down to probably there, there was games where maybe, like I say, it was if we'd played on Saturday and, and then we played like a Monday over Easter or like there was probably times where I maybe shouldn't have been so desperate to play. But I, I, like I say, I hated missing training, hated missing games. Like obviously I wanted to start. If I had to come on, it was, it was one of those things you just had to do. But ideally I wanted to be playing, I wanted to be training. So there was obviously times that season maybe where I, I shouldn't have played or I, I should took a step back but like I say it was that fear of probably what was coming and, and not wanting to leave not wanting to be sort of like left on the bench and then it's an easy one where he's only paid, played 10 games so we're not going to offer him a deal or whatever but I just wanted to make sure that I was in in and around it and showing what I could do that hopefully they they saw something to, to offer me a new deal. Well you, you mentioned uh, games coming thick and fast and they don't come any thicker and faster than uh, the Christmas period mm-hmm. uh, and January. January brought an interesting mm. Thing that happened did anyone see this coming yeah I think looking back that there was there was whispers of obviously interest for Chris which there always was like yeah. a, a, any job plus league two league one anyone that was ever even like say throughout any season he was there there was he was always linked because of the job he had done and, and people got to know like his methods and how he was doing things and like say I, even in the press how he spoke about things he was very open honest about everything so I think he was always linked but then every season it got a little bit more sort of serious and, and like we were always kept informed of stuff but I, I think these started to be not even discussed with the players or we, we were picking it up through sort of social media and obviously Sky Sports he was linked with certain jobs so I, I, th- I think we felt it was probably a matter of time before he was going to move on I think he'd been there and obviously I know that there was obviously he was good friends with Kelvin and then Kelvin had left and I don't know particularly how well Ian and, and Chris had been getting on and mm. it didn't like I say just didn't feel that same unity that we had before so I think that was probably a factor but then yeah obviously I think he, he ended up walking away the end of January which for the players was was a big shock obviously we almost prepped ourselves for that at some point but where we were and, and still sort of doing really well in the league it, it, it was it was tough we didn't know what that meant then sort of going forward well the thing that's crazy looking at it from a completely outside point of view is you've been properly in the promotion hunt this year perhaps the closest you've been at any point since you returned to league football and you're sixth you're in the playoff spots and he makes the move to a team battling relegation that must have really given you a real sense of uncertainty in not just the present with Oxford, but looking forward to the rest of the season and on from that. I think that, yeah, again, that was, I think, the first time we'd been outside the top five, literally from the start of the season to, to that point. We, we, like say, come out of the top five. And I think from our point of view, we were thinking, well, we can carry this run on. Like, you, at the time, you probably don't realise what the manager's, what effect he's having. You just assume, well, so, so we're doing it. Like, we're the players that are doing it. But actually, like, we didn't know really why he had left. Was it down to contracts? Was it, like, he'd asked for a new contract and they'd not backed him? Would he, he'd he asked for money in the, in the window and he hadn't been backed or... We, we didn't really understand as to why the reasons you would leave at that point, like say to be top of the league or in the top five or six. To yeah, then, everything's, to, everything to about it is bizarre, isn't it? It's the timing of yeah. it, the, the the fact that it's going to a, a lesser team, mm. you know, certainly, and, and almost following following a chairman as well. Those are mm. unique things really yeah. that, that, have, that have happened in football. And like Teddy said, you know, that uncertainty. But you, you don't realise as well, looking back on it, that there's an amazing stat that you're the only team in the top four divisions to not have lost away from home since the start of the season. It's mm. not until Chris leaves and in February you lose your first away game. The only team out of all 92 to not have lost away. It's an unbelievable stat and to walk away from that. It, yeah, and that, like I say, it is, for, for us it was, we just didn't know what had happened. We, we, we realised there must have been something behind that. You don't just walk away from a team that uh, sort of got every chance of get, getting in the playoffs and getting promotion to join a team in a relegation battle f- for nothing. There's obviously something behind it, but I remember obviously them saying that Mickey was going to sort of carry on as, as caretaker obviously we still had Mel and, and we still had people there that could like say player wise that we had enough in there to stay where we were and, and fight it so it didn't seem too much of an issue but slowly over time I think the club didn't didn't exactly help Mickey they put him in a in a position where he probably didn't know where his future lay was he going to be made full-time manager was he going to sit in for because it was a long time between that and well, and, yeah, and he Gary was in charge in. as caretaker for two months. Yeah. So we think of a caretaker boss being Couple of maybe weeks. three weeks, yeah. yeah. But twelve games in two months—that's a proper little managerial stint. Yeah, and like I say, the, 
the performances we were delivering weren't weren't good enough, and we were we were slowly sort of slipping down that. I, I still feel, I don't I don't think we sort of came out of the top eight, but we went for a run of say four, five, six games without without picking up a win. And I think for us, we we were looking for somebody at the top to sort of make something happen and implement something or, or, or mm. get us some sort of lift that we needed to get us back on track. But I felt the club probably just sort of took a little bit too long and just caused that to get worse and worse. And like I say, in the end, they brought Gary Waddock in for the last seven, eight games, but not a huge amount of time for him, but not obviously then it, it put Mickey in a situation where I think he didn't know whether he was going to be staying or whether they, he would have his own staff. And there was just a lot of unrest, I think, between everybody. And obviously you chuck into the mix, obviously contracts for most of the players now. You've got a new manager, so everyone out of contract, you've got like two months to or a month to try and prove yourself to this guy, get to know him, get to know how he works. It, it just made for a sort of hellish last couple of months of the season. I wanted to sort of draw comparisons to Mickey and yourself in mm. in terms of too much loved and in Mickey's case, dearly missed. Yeah, you know, just shown at his, his memorial game, which was you know absolutely phenomenal. Mm. The outpouring of love and emotion that was there for a character. And my God, it's good to say that there are still you know characters. Yeah. I wanted to kind of draw that comparison that someone who lived and breathed Oxford United, who was you know you've mentioned before on previous episodes, you know you could have a word. Mickey, yeah, and it, you know that's who you go to. You'd, he'd sort you out. Yeah. He's on your side. Yeah, he's vouching for you. Similarly with yourself, you know, you're spanging in goals, appearances. You know, a club legend. Do you feel a little bit like the club could have served you both better? I think definitely with Mickey. I, I, I think as a group, we felt sorry for him. Like I say, I, I, you sort of look across and and someone that would be in with us in the morning take us for a session like say come in have something to eat race off to the uni and take the uni players and just someone and then you'd see him on social media in the evenings at sort of local clubs like under eights under tens taking sessions and it was like a guy that just lived and breathed football but he had gone from like say being the like you say the go-to man any issues you go to mickey to actually he's then dealing with all the stresses of that press asking him about like the next manager obviously speculation over his future is he staying is he going to be the manager it's a, it's a lot to deal with and i think as assistant you, you have different roles in that but then to be sort of thrust into that and i just felt that he, he didn't get the backing he didn't get the level of respect he, he deserved really like say he'd done He'd obviously played for the club, been a legend. He'd worked with Chris. He'd been a big part of Wembley, a big part of being back in the football league. And then he's sort of left to just sort of fight and, and defend, which obviously Mickey, you, <laughs> you, you back him all, every day of the week. He, he is definitely a fighter. But I just felt like he was left a little bit to be sort of the guy there that tried to steer it. And well, he needed a bit more help. You say about that, and press is such a big thing now. Even we talked about with the whole Swindon transfer mm -hmm. saga, the press being huge in that. Ian Lenigan comes out and says, he's talking about the process, he goes, oh, we've had 72 applicants. Mm. And he's talking about that rather than the man who's in, who ultimately managed more games than Gary, who came in and only did eight at the end. It must have been a weird thing as players because you're getting those games are just totting up more and more and more. It's a sort of, you personally, where am I going to be? But where are we going even just in yeah. the next few weeks, yeah. not the season? Like I say, we, we definitely felt that. And like I say, we, we were, it's like one of those things you're sort of, we were looking to the people above to say, look, like make a decision. Like we need somebody here. We need a big character. We needed a Chris, really. We needed someone that could say, look, forget all this. Like this isn't for a long time. This is going to be a short period and it's all going to be all right. But we just, we felt like we were sort of left a little bit out on our own. And like I say, then, then obviously Gary came in and someone that we had known from other teams. I think he'd been an older shot and he'd been around the leagues and like say we, we knew of him he probably wasn't the sort of level of manager I was expecting the club after taking all that time yeah. to sort of come to a decision I was thinking oh, I was gonna have to be a sort of big big name or he hadn't a managed big, for two years a big character and to go sort of down that route it seemed a, a strange decision really yeah so it really feels apparent that come January with 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 Chris leaving uncertainty is is definitely a topic that keeps cropping up mm. um the uncertainty of Mickey's situation the uncertainty of a, a manager that Teddy says uh, who hasn't managed for for best part of 2 years yeah. there feels like there was a big unraveling describe the sort of atmosphere when when Gary comes in because you you go you go on a wretched run you know, we always talk about new manager bounce yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It was the exact opposite. The antithesis of that. Yeah. Seven losses out of eight. Yeah. It, 
it doesn't get much worse. No, and I, and I think in defence to him, probably it was following on from the previous, but we, we were already too far into that run. Like I say, you see it, you can't just flick a switch and be mm. like, right. Well, you, you do see it with a new manager. Sometimes you might get a game or two, but then nine times out of 10, they revert back to the form as, as to why they are in that position. But well, out of the last 15, it's 11 losses. Yeah. So when you look at it like that, it's exactly as you say, yeah. it was building. Yeah, it was building. And, and we just felt, like I say, we, we, it wasn't from lack of trying. It wasn't from lack of, like I say, he, he came in and, and tried to implement sort of different sessions and different sort of tactics. And, and But it, like I say, you, once you're on that run, morale is, like I say, an all-time low. You've got obviously myself and other players that are out of contract you've got there's so much more than just a lot of time fans just expect you to just like oh we'll talk about contracts tomorrow you've 90 minutes focus on that but it's in the back of your mind you, you don't want to get injured if you get injured you haven't got a club you're not going to earn any money it's there's a lot more involved that, that like say you, you want that security you want to know that say you're playing for a club that want you to be there and, and they're going to look after you I'm going to use another sort of real world example for work. And I I go back to work scenarios because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Is there that feeling around the club at this stage of, you know, the Sunday dread of going into work on Monday morning going, oh God, I can't, I can't face it. When you're on such a bad run, even though you're going out, you're trying to win. Of course you're trying, I yeah. never accused, you know, anyone not of, yeah. of doing that. But you're on such a bad run. But there's that feeling of dread yeah. almost. I think like say... For going in for training, it wasn't too bad. Like, say, if we'd lost on a Saturday, there might be, like, a little bit of, like, oh, we're going to have to watch the DVD. And it was, like, made out to be, like, oh, the horror show. Like, get the popcorn ready. And, like, it was try to sort of lighten the mood. But I think we knew when when you're seeing it back like that, black and white, you can see it in front of you. It's 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 one of those things. I think in the end, we tended to do it in groups because we, we'd do it in, like, a, say, a whole squad. And we'd be watching it, and it'd be, like, we'd be conceding goals. Midfielders and forwards are, like, sort of shaking their heads. And then it would cut to, like, us missing a chance. And then... So it's very much you could make it as about oh well they we conceding loads of goals or we're not scoring or but then it went like a lot more individual so like clips of with us forwards like what could we have done better or but when it, I think with, with Gary it was a, a little bit of like we needed to sort of come away from that and just like work hard like try to sort of implement all the basics like back to square one clean slate but I think it was the timing of obviously I think the middle of March and everybody's getting them. Most teams, if you're not in the playoffs, you're not in and around it, you're sort of thinking about your holidays. Or, But I just think it was the wrong time of year for someone to be coming in. And, yeah. and, and he, he inherited, like, say, a team of, of people that were some out of contract, some that was going to have to make changes. But it definitely felt like some of the players, like Michael Dubry's, Dave Kitson's, these guys might not continue playing after this season. So it was, we felt that coming into that, that summer was going to be a big change for Oxford United. There was going to be players out that needed to, to, to be sort of turned over and, and, and sort of almost a, a squad rebuilt again. You mentioned a few names there that, that were coming up to contract and yourself included yeah. in that. You've stated so many times on the podcast that you, you know, you're, you're desperate to stay. You'd mm. still be playing from now, I think, if, uh, if you could. How was the contract situation dealt with? got a new manager that has been you know just trying to get his feet under the table like you said at an awful time yeah and you're kind of going okay well I've got to put some food on the table yeah. next season what's happening I think he he was keen to sort of just say look I'm not talking about anything till the end of the season it was I think he was trying to maybe take all that distraction away and just say look with which I sort of half get but I, I think the players found that difficult like say there's there's big players in that change room that, that want to know what's happening and I think he was keen to just focus on the league and get that get us. At that point, we were still not a million miles off the playoffs, so it was it was a strange one. Although the run we'd been on, it showed how well we'd done the first half of the season. That after the run we'd been on, we still weren't a million miles off. So yeah, I think that that was the sort of main aim. But then obviously the season finished and we we were flat from that. But obviously we we, we sort of opened negotiations and I remember sort of speaking with Gary and and obviously they made a, an offer that was 30, 40% less than what, what I'd been on, which for me was just came completely out of nowhere. Obviously I was. I was delighted that they wanted to offer me a new deal, but just had no clue as to how that would look. And obviously it was a one-year deal, which 28, 29, I, I didn't feel that I was in the realms of getting one-year deals to get me through. I'd played nearly 50 games a season that, that season and for the six seasons before, I, I'd played sort of week in, week out. So And, and been top scorer yeah, for six, for six, six seasons. seasons. Yeah, yeah. Which, which just didn't it just didn't make sense to me really. And obviously I I sort of spoke with him and, and we had a sort of chat and I said look obviously I'd, I'm desperate to stay obviously you've seen I, I've made it clear since you've been here that I, I want to stay but obviously I'm, I'm in a situation I've got a seven eight month old daughter now it's not something I can just snap your hand off it, it, it's a hell of a 
sort of decreased to what I've been on and, and only being a one-year deal. So I remember sort of speaking to Ian Lennigan and um, trying to really get clarification as to why he was offering me that. And he made it clear that it was nothing to do with him. And he set the budget for Gary and it's Gary's decision on how that gets divvied out between players. But like I say, I'd, I'd, it went against everything that Gary had said that it was all or Ian's told me what to offer you. I'm just offering what he's told me. So everyone passing the buck. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and that didn't, didn't fill me with, with, a great deal of sort of confidence. And I, I remember going back to Gary and saying, look, he's, he's obviously said it's it's your decision. And he was like, no, that's that's not true. And it just got to a point, it was almost like playground stuff. And I just couldn't believe that obviously the, t- the time I'd been there and, w- and what I'd done and deals I'd turned down. I've got a guy that I've known for sort of six weeks, seven weeks that he's basically trying to out me, it felt like, then trying to blame it on the chairman who I'd known sort of for a year, year and a half. So I had a little bit more knowledge of him and aware of him. And I, I just didn't feel like that might be coming from him. It felt like it was coming from Gary, but he didn't want to be sort of honest with me and, and let me know that. So it got to a point where we, we were sort of going back, back and forth. And I'd sort of spoke with my, 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 obviously my girlfriend at the time and mum and dad and said, look, I could, I could probably do a year just because... I want to stay. I'm, I'm one goal off the record. I've, obviously, it's going to be a rebuild project. And obviously, there's stuff we can do and say, look, if I play so many games, I'll get another year or whatever it is. But I could just about do the year. But it would need to be on the same wages I was on. I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd, I'd never felt like I was ever sort of the top earner at Oxford. There was, there was players on more than me. I sort of know that for a fact. So it wasn't like I was the sort of top, top earner and it was a lot of money. Like they'd, they'd give me a pay cut for whatever reason. But it just felt like they were sort of potentially trying to move me on without sort of saying it they could say look we tried to keep him he didn't want to stay but in reality they they put me in a situation that meant I had a, a big decision to make and obviously I think people that listened to the to the radio interview knew what what that meant after leaving and, and how that felt for me personally I'd, I'd never wanted to leave the football club but they put me in a situation that, that pretty much sort of took the decision out of my hands well it, it, yeah it was that and it's very easy to say We've offered a contract. We've heard it a million times as football fans. Mm. Oh, they've offered him a new contract and he's turned it down. Mm. What I think people don't realise, but we've kind of sort of got under the skin a bit of of this a little bit more, is that, you know, that there is a human who plays football, who, you know, know, has wife and kids and who needs to think about the future. And let's be honest, your future's been put in question at the age of 28 yeah you know you it's almost been you've been pigeonholed as well you get a year and we all know what happens with a year contract yeah. you're probably not going to get another year contract yeah. so that's going to be the end of it and and to have but this year. was so close to like say only a few years earlier swindon were offering me free like two three-year deals bristol rovers were wanting to sign me and, and offer me a pretty lucrative deal bournemouth like i turned down all these clubs and like say i turned down because i wanted to stay and then i know it it, it sort of got they tried to chuck in things and say, look, if you score 20 goals, we're, we're, we're give you all the money we're taking away from you. We're basically giving you all back yeah. when you score 20 goals. And I was like, yeah, but the, I don't know what that squad's going to look like. If you're going to rip it apart and start again, yeah. the likelihood is I might not score 20. And, it, and even if I did have an unbelievable season, I got to 19, you could just stop playing me. And, and in which case, I'll never, ever get that money back. So it, it was tough. Like I say, I, I, I sort of looking back, it was a horrible sort of couple of weeks. I know... I'd, I'd sort of spoke to different clubs and obviously spoke to Stu and Wimbledon had, had made contact and, and stuff about me potentially going mm-hmm. there. And at, at my time in my career and my life, probably traveling in and out of London wasn't something I sort of wanted to do really. And yeah, I, I remember speaking to Stuart Eastley and um, obviously I'd known him from, from my time at Oxford and, and he was keen to get me down there and, and pretty much just said, look, we're, we're, whatever you're on, we're, we'll give you that. There's like, say, we, we know what you can do. We've got to the conference. We want to kick on and we want to get back to, the, we want to get into the football league mm. for the first time. And they had wild plans of new stadiums. And like it, it, anyone that knows Stu Donald will know, like he's, he's infectious. Like he's, he's a football mad. He's he obviously went on to Sunderland and, and was chairman up there. So you can see the level of, of what this guy wants to do and, and where he wanted to, to take Eastley basically was to, to be a club that could go and challenge Oxford. So I'll say it, it was definitely something that interested me, but I think the, the security of, the, of a three-year contract and, and things like that made, made such a difference. It put me in a, a harder situation almost if, it was, if they had offered me a year and things like that. It, it probably would have been harder, but like I say, obviously to have that, that offer of a three-year, it, it, it did sort of... It, it was, I was fighting against my head saying, like, you know what, this is... You can't really turn it down. It's security. It's near the coast. It, it's somewhere for the kids to grow up, but my heart was being pulled apart because I, this is a club that, that basically I wanted to stay for the rest of my career and, and see out my time. And then 
obviously once I'd finished playing, hopefully be part of the coaching staff and like say be a, a sort of future person at the club for a long time. So it was a uh, it was a really really tough sort of couple of weeks. This might sound like quite a hard thing to look back on, yeah, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But you said a lot of that with dealings with Ian, with Gary. You had your own reservations about where things were coming from. You signed for Eastleigh in May after your contract ends and Gary loses his job in July. Yeah. Is there a part of you that's looking at that and thinking, I could still be there right now if things had played out slightly differently just yeah. a few months earlier? Yeah, I think, so. like I say, definitely, I, th- I think when, when I left and, and obviously I, I still followed it and it, I think we played Oxford in the pre-season of, of that season I was at Eastleigh and... And things like that, and obviously I was I, I, as well. I just remember sort of thinking that summer, like I'd, I'd never really got a chance to say goodbye properly. But I'd sort of it wasn't like I knew I was leaving. So like that last game, you see like the PK and Barcelona, you get a proper chance to say bye. And I, I did feel like a little bit that, that I'd sort of slipped out the back door, and, and just things like that just sort of really sort of got to me over, over the time that obviously I'd, I was down at Eastley now, and I was sort of excited for that challenge. But there was just bits that were like it just didn't sit right with me. I did feel like I didn't get the proper sort of send off and and chance to, to really thank the fans for, for what they've given me over the years. Well, Rich asked me this morning, did you have a testimonial? I, gen- and- I, genuinely, I genuinely thought, like, going into this, I was just like, oh, yeah, did, did he, have I missed it? Did he, did he have one or not? And we were sort of Googling, we were like, oh, no, no, you have to... I've been years. there 10 years. Yeah. Or which special is- circumstances. And, and yeah, it, like, like you said, that, that sort of leaving through, you know, a side, mm. a side door for, you know, we said a, a, a number of times, for a club legend... Yeah. It's a very strange, like, how does that, how does that sit with you at the moment? Because you work with Oxford United yeah. at the moment, you're still part and parcel of that. Mm-hmm. But at that time, did you feel, did you feel like that you were being sort of bumped to that side? And then it's like, okay, that's that then. Yeah, I, I think, like I say, but when I left, it was definitely, I, I did feel like for whatever reason, I, I would, I'd been sort of moved on for, for nothing that I could really put a finger on. Like say, I'd, I'd had injuries with my foot and, but I'd still racked up 45, 50 games that season. I'd, I'd still scored goals. I'd, I just didn't feel like at that stage of my career, I needed to move on. Like mm. I say, in terms of finances, I wasn't earning stupid money or, or, or draining the club of finances. I, I just thought it was a strange time. It was a strange situation to be moved on the way it was. But then I was back, I think, August, September time, I, I received my my 100th shirt and, like I say, with the, obviously, to commemorate the 100 goals I'd scored and I managed to sort of go onto the pitch and, and sort of half say goodbye but it was already I'd, I'd left so it felt sort of a little bit odd doing it that way but I'll say obviously back there now is is unbelievable I, I still like I said to Teddy like I, if, if we're in at half 12 on a match day I'm not I'm not in the club before one o'clock I, I'll stop and speak to the fans and, and catch up with them because I say that they're, they're a huge part of my time there they gave me unbelievable support throughout that time obviously the times where I was out of the squad and obviously dealing with with things that were going on and, and obviously all the highs as well they, they they were a big part of it so um obviously back there on a match day now is, is fantastic but like I say looking back it's one of those things you think sort of in the back of your head giving your time again would you would you just sort of bite your lip and just take that year and like say who knows what could have been and, and I could still be there now and obviously hopefully in the in the 200 goals and, and breaking all sorts of records but it's one of those things, like I say, you just got to sort of live with it and move on. Well, I mean, that's a, a very poignant part, I think, to to wrap up this episode of the James Constable podcast. Um, I wanted to to say, is there is there anything that you wanted to say um, to the fans listening? Because we've we've done this podcast, um, we've done this podcast for the people that have cheered your name like you said that have, have, have stuck by you thick and thin that still stop you outside the ground yeah. and have a chat and and recall those memories and and you know oh, I remember you with that header and you celebrated yeah. in front of me and that was you know 10 years ago and what have you is there is there anything you want to say to to kind of wrap up this episode yeah like I say I think without this whole podcast like it's a lot of the times we've spoke it's been about the fans it's been about their journey it's been about like them supporting the club gateshead and all over the country following us us guys that like say season after season we, we obviously after getting promoted sort of getting so near and then letting them down it was like I say that they, they never once sort of veered away from from following us supporting us so I think for me it was and, and obviously my journey obviously being there for, from when I was to then leaving and 
not getting a proper chance to thank them and and be able to sort of really just say yeah thanks for for everything they did for me through that time was say even even now I look back and I think like it's, it, it was tough like I, I I wish I'd just got the chance I look at the Mansfield game and that was almost like say my way of doing it without knowing that that would be my sort of last season but yeah really just just thanks to them and they made my journey through my time at Oxford United so much more enjoyable and, and like say even now that that I can still speak to them and, and they sort of remind me of goals I scored and games where I'd, I'd got booked or wh- whatever it is that, that you can't help but smile and like say I, I loved every minute of, of of being there and like say I wouldn't obviously apart from maybe leaving I wouldn't change anything about it but also clear up the I think a lot of the fans are probably in, in two minds that, that I left because of money or things like that which would like I say throughout my career I've I've showed it time after time. It was it was never about money. It was, like I say, I, I was happy to to stay what I, what I was on, which was comfortable. I'd, I'd, I'd had chances to leave on for for a lot more money, but for me, I, I, I wanted to stay. But like I say, that the the pay cut, the year deal was just it made it impossible. And like I say, but looking back, it's one of those that maybe sort of in in the back of your mind, if I'd known how it would have played at Eastleigh, that that I would have just stayed, but. It's so difficult. I, I was expecting us to to do really well and get in the football league. So it was, um, but yeah, given my time again, I, I would have obviously how it did go. I would have stayed and, and like I say, hopefully gone on and broke the record officially and and, and hopefully still be there now. Well, um, I think that's a brilliant way to to wrap up. I think Teddy's got a few uh, little summary points just to remind everyone about James Constable. Well, as we said, I think you've been. Across this journey of these six episodes, you've been unbelievably humble about the things you did manage to achieve at Oxford. And I think just to sum it up, joining in 2008, there for six years, playing 280 games and leading the boys out 65 times as captain, captaining them to a playoff win at Wembley, being the top scorer overall for six consecutive seasons. And I think in our book, certainly... Those three goals at Chester certainly yeah, count they in still our count, mind. Still count, yeah. So officially, Oxford's second top scorer with 106. But I speak for Rich and I, and everyone listening who's listened to this journey. I think we all, in our minds, know that you scored 109, certified Oxford United legend. Well, I think the only thing to remain to do is uh, have a little cheers uh, to James and say, "Cheers, guys, Oxford United legend." Thank you so much for listening to this journey. Uh, Thank you to James for laying so many incredible things on the line. We've all learned as fans of Oxford United uh, some incredible things on this journey. Uh, It's been an absolute roller coaster and an absolute pleasure. Big thank you to Statman Ted, who's been uh, keeping us on the straight and narrow. You didn't mention the the red cards and the yellow cards. No, no, I thought you'd leave that out. You can't do it on the last one. You you can't leave that out. We're going to be back with more from the James Constable podcast. Very, very soon indeed. Make sure you like, subscribe and share. As always, a big thank you to the White House here in Oxford, Tap Social, for housing us and putting us up and giving us fantastic beer to drink throughout this. Uh, And also a big thank you to Get Radio as well for putting this all together. You've been listening to the James Constable podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and share. We're going to have a new episode dropping every Tuesday. And for the full length uncut version, head over to YouTube. Just simply search for James Constable podcast. This has been powered by Get Radio, Oxfordshire's local radio station. Head to getradio.co.uk for more updates and details.